welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. We already talked about this, and he doesn't need to hear it again. Maybe he does, but... Uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, and, uh, and you're not going to like it. And that is, I'm going to tell you the same thing that I tell my sponsors, guys that work through the steps with me. And that is, you heard me say that when I actually started practicing this program the way that it's written. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to say that it took me as long, as many years as it did to actually start doing this, to actually physically start doing what the literature says. But after I had done that 90 days, continuously, without interruption, without a break, my life was completely different. I mean, I had a hold of something that I had never even glimpsed before. And that was that access to that knowledge, wisdom, understanding, strength, peace, and solutions that uh, is just indescribable. So, I started telling sponsees, look, do this for 90 days. Bake this cake for 90 days. Now, the literature doesn't say anything about 90 days. Nowhere in here is the 90 days. This is just personal experience and understanding, watching other people do the same thing. 90 days, do this for 90 days, and you will have an experience, whatever it is. But I guarantee you that God will show up in your life in a very real and meaningful way, just within this, you know, steps 10 and 11. And you will have knowledge and understanding of steps 10 and 11, unlike anything that you've ever experienced. Therefore, what I tell the guys that I work with is, I'm not going to monitor this. You know, I, I tell guys, look, if you want dynamite, rocket-powered, A number one recovery, do dynamite, rocket-powered, A number one work. If you want mediocre recovery, do mediocre work. If you want shitty recovery, do shitty work. You know, it's up to you. <laughs> but if you don't do this, but, but if you don't do this, if you go to a meeting and they're talking about the 10th and 11th step, please don't share it because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Anyway, step 12. Okay. I get a whole chapter in the big book to talk about. Step 12. <laughs> Finally. Uh huh. Almost. Robert's had the entire time of chapter 3 step. Now I, I get it. <laughs> uh, That's why I, I choose this. That's right. Now, um, um, okay. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand over there. 
Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to sexaholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I love it. It's packed with stuff. Um, just, I just, I just like to break it down for a second here. Having had a spiritual awakening as the direct result of these steps is the way I like to think of it. And I came on the end of what Robert was saying, and, and I may second what he was just saying, but uh, this has been my experience. At, as a direct result of working the steps, I've I had a spiritual awakening. And the wonderful, amazing, kind of almost mysterious thing to me is that as I continue to work the steps, I continue to have a spiritual experience. A spirit, you know, I continue to wake up more spiritually as I continue on this path. And um, that is the thing, as it says... Uh, I'm not going to ask everybody to get to it, but where it talks about, I don't know if we'll have time to do Appendix 2, a spiritual experience in a big book, but um, um, I didn't have an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, but um, I've had experiences of of that before, and, and, and um, what has occurred has been through the grace of God and these steps, a God consciousness that has been followed by a vast change in feeling and outlook in my life. And that has taken time and is continuing to change and evolve and grow. Um, But, uh, gosh, it was... um, Let's see. All right, I'll finish with the rest of Stephen talking about. Try to carry this message to alcohol, uh, sexaholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Um, and, and the way this part of the step has continued to evolve for me is not only try to carry this message just to pe- people, my fellow brothers and sisters in recovery, it's, it's really changed now. Every aspect of my life, all these principles in my affairs just how I was saying in my prayer time, how I can focus on what I can bring into life um, in work, wherever I am, school, what have you, to carry this, carry a message of hope. I don't have to be preaching I'm a sexaholic and I'm in recovery, but if I can, if I can carry these principles of honesty and, and, and purity and the things I was talking about earlier, the principles of this program into my daily affairs, that's, to me, that is, Carrying a message, and 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 as Robert was saying, um, um, you know, we become uh, disciples of this program. That that's that's carrying a message, uh, no doubt. Um, and uh, you know, I can if I'm going in, let's say, just walking about my daily life, and I'm doing my prayers, and I'm doing this program work. I I think that that a person hooked up and synced up in that way 
can really have the the opportunity and power to have influence on situations and everything. And um, before I get into going over chapter seven on page eighty nine in the big book, working with others, um, just to share, and it's related to step two, but but the way. You know, the message was carried to me. So we're dealing here with, with you know, carrying this message to others. And um, when I, uh, with the treatment, and was a few hundred miles away from home, and uh, was absolutely at my wits' end, just burnt out and miserable. Um, thank God I came into contact with people that had a had a real answer. And um, it was, let's see, I'll just give you an idea. Let's see, it was a setting, it was about 300 or so, really it was teens. The majority of them were drug, alcohol, sex problems, behavioral problems, right? And uh, I was from Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, a lot of these guys were from the Bronx and uh, yeah, Harlem and... Uh, Long Island, all these places, and I was, I was, I was able to run around in you know downtown Charleston, right? And I went, I got around these kids. I was like, okay, <laughs> these guys are, these really were the real deal. And then, and then, everybody involved, all the counselors were really, most of them were in recovery, and um, um. The way it was set up, they had it divided into each each group, or they called it families, was about you know, 30 or so kids, and they had family leaders, and they became my surrogate parents while I was there. And these are the people who really introduced me to recovery. And, and we would, uh, um, this is what my life consisted of for almost three years. Uh, um, Mike and Roxy were my surrogate parents, and Mike is from uh, the Bronx, he's Italian. He, was, he had been sober for 15 or so years, recovering heroin addict, and etc. One of the most hard-nosed, when I first met him, I thought, meanest son of a bitches I've ever met. Could not, oh my gosh, he was intense. And we used to, and Mike and Roxy would sit up here, and uh, all of, everyone else would sit, you know, like this, like a U-shaped table, and then I'd stand like where Cliff was, for instance. All the kids went through this, and... Uh, and I'd stand up there, and when I was first there and half out of it, their attempt to help me to wake up consisted of a lot of, a lot of yelling and um, and uh, so forth. All with purpose. It was all with purpose. And it was just, this is just my experience, and I was just I was so spiritually, emotionally, just. Dead. That, that, that I mean, I was I was at a bottom, and I was I was wanting some help, uh, but I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground, and so um, that type of environment for me, my experience, I I needed that. That's what where God placed me, and uh, that's that's where I was introduced to recovery. And that's that's the way it happened for me. And if that wouldn't happen for me. I was real close to going to spend time in Columbia for a number of years in prison, and and um, by the grace of God, I was able to go there, and uh, uh, that experience absolutely changed my life. And it went from 
from Mike banging on the table, you you stupid blah, 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 and all these things that really cut, he was trying, just trying to cut through my ego so I could really begin to see the truth of my situation. And it after a year of that, I finally broke through to me and I, and I really, really clearly saw, it was almost like I had, I, I had hit a bottom before I got there, but then it, after being dry for about a year, then I, then I hit even another one where it was like, oh man, I'm in serious need of, of help in the program. And then one of the most incredible things happened. The man, Mike, and, and Matt, everything that I, that I hated just so much and kept it all inside and never let any of it out. I remember having a conference call with and my folks and stuff, and I finally just let it out and told them how I felt about them, you know, just let all this stuff out. F you, you asshole, blah, blah, blah. And, and after the call, because I finally got honest and told, told my truth, at least, is how I felt. Afterwards, he, after a year of hating this guy, he gave me a hug because I finally started to connect with the truth. And, oh, man, it, it, it broke. I felt like just a layer of it broke, and I just, my, I started to become alive. And then he really, he and the others were really then able to connect with me and the passion and the energy that he had specifically for recovery and life it helped just helped me immensely and then I started engaging the steps in the program and, and my life started to change and uh, that man who I hated with a passion now still talk to him I left five years ago and um, when I left I remember Roxy Holding, holding my hand, you know, spending day in and day out with her for a few years, saying, you know, you're, you're like a, a son to us. And Mike said the same thing. And it's whenever I call him and if I've ever wanted to go see him, I'll say, you think it'd be hard if I stay at your house? He said, well, you don't have to ask that. You're, why would I refuse my house to, to one of our children? And it just a, just such a wonderful wonderful deal has been given to me and um, I, I, I love both of them like like my parents in a real way I was with them during formidable years and um, um, I just wanted to share some of that before really going into this chapter and uh, that was my experience with, with having the program introduced to me and another real interesting thing I was thinking last night so my my, my, my first sponsor Matthew that's you know you hear people talk about like your your grand sponsor your great grand sponsor you know my sponsor now is Bill my grand sponsor would be his sponsor Rick and you know what I'm saying so with Matt I thought this was pretty cool so Matt was my sponsor his father-in-law who was really he worked with spiritually and everything was was Tom who worked with Bill Wilson so I was thinking last night I was like huh. So Matt, then Tom's like my grand sponsor, and then Bill W was like the great grand sponsor. So I, th- I, was, I thought that was that was um, pretty awesome, and and that was my sponsorship lineage. So um, let's let's get into uh, chapter seven here, working with others and chat about it some, and. Um,
So, how about this first paragraph here and the second one? Nothing will so much ensure immunity from lusting as intensive work with other sexaholics. It works when other activities fail. Carry this message to other sexaholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence. Remember, they are very ill. And uh, that's that's the truth, no doubt. My gosh. Um, right, I've I've found particularly the last couple few years. Uh, after getting established kind of in the Murfreesboro and East Tennessee, I've had a guy to work with. I haven't had a flood of guys. I haven't had, you know, 20 guys that are 18 years old want, you know, want to come talk to me about recovery. But I've, I've had a continuous um, working with somebody. And, and I worked with this guy, James. It was just like a couple of weeks. And then I don't know where James is now. But then right after James was done, it was a guy, Jackie. And, I, and it's... And now... Uh, Working with this guy again on, uh, from Boston, and we've been we've been working now for uh, a couple of months. He's he really seems like maybe he he may really start to to engage and get a recovery and um and and I I do my best to carry the message and and I want to help them. But the one thing that it definitely is doing for me is, is, is what it says right here. It is giving me immunity, if you will, from, from lust a day at a time. Because I'm talking to this guy every day and, and, and I'm really trying to help him and you know, give him suggestions and so forth. And um, uh, Second paragraph, life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship, fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And I, and I love that, that mental image there. Um, and I can think of so many meetings of where I've been this weekend, for, for one. Um, you know, and... Having 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 the the awakening as a result of working the steps and and continuing to work with those and then it's it's kind of like this stuff is happening in God's world uh, and now I've just kind of become awakened to the reality of 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 the good stuff in life you know what I mean and and that um, there there are things happening. In, in, in life where God is really acting where I'd say a lot of times um, I'm just not awake to him but now now it's you know it's a lot better and I can recognize and be aware of the movement of God in my life and those around me um, obviously you know a lot more than it used to be and that's continuing to, to increase and um, and I just you know Frequent contact with newcomers is the bright spot of our lives, and I just think of you know, it says bright spot. I I, I think of uh, you know I'm always seeing things in my head, and I think of just smiling faces and 
uh, a bright room and, and just every, you know everybody's just kind of alive with with the spirit. I mean, obviously that's not the case all the time, but you know. Um, um, okay, let's see. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, do the the nuts and bolts of as they do with 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 finding a newcomer. And, uh, and a lot of this has changed. Obviously, this was 70 years ago, and so. You, you couldn't go down the street and, and go to a meeting, an AA meeting with 50 people in it five days a week and, and that type of thing. They had to, they, you know, kind of search these guys out and, and um, um, you know, to finally go go get a new prospect. You got to get on the phone, call the minister, and or call the call the hospital and see if you got any drunks or what have you. And that, that to me is is very uh, interesting to think about and that that uh, they really. We're, we're recognizing that okay. In order for me to stay sober, I'm going to have to help someone else. So I'm going to bust my ass to find someone to help. Um, and there's no excuse why we shouldn't be busting our ass to help everybody in the rooms because we there's um, our availability of finding others in, in, in need is is a lot more than than then I'd say you know. Um, and uh, t- top of page 90, there begins this emphasis, which I'm finding to, to be more and more important, um, specifically in, in, in recent experience, uh, where they emphasize, emphasize this idea of if, if he does not want to stop lusting, you know, so I'm, you're working with somebody, don't waste time trying to persuade him. And they pound this in, really, uh, Couple paragraphs down. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk with lust. Uh, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Um, where was the other? Uh, where was the other? Oh, yeah. So, well, there's another place where they. Uh, If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. And and this is the thing of, you know, my experience is only valid as my experience. And, you know, that's been true for me in that, uh, you know, I really will own something if it's my own experience and, and, and not my sponsor telling me... Uh, Telling me what to do, and or telling me the answer to whatever problem it is. If I, you know, and so right now, um, I'm working with with this guy up in Boston, and uh, he's he's younger, and and um, uh, Bill actually, let's see, he was in Maine, and he saw this this younger fella, and he said, you know, I'm working with with Adam, and uh, why don't you contact him and he contacted me a while back and um, kind of drifted away for a bit and recently got back with me via email. And we're talking and I'm working with him and um, he's and he's starting to engage and so forth. But uh, where there's a spot in here where it says I need to practice, you know, I, I need to make sure that I practice patience and uh, remember that he's sick. And not bad trying to get better, but he's sick trying to get well. And 
I what I've been noticing in myself is that I've been, you know, if he doesn't do exactly what I think he should do or or whatever, if he start if he's calling and said he had a slip or something, I uh, start to get a little impatient or something. That's that's my own inventory, and I'm seeing, you know, if he does not want to stop lusting, that's the third tradition for membership. And it's a waste of my time trying to persuade him. All I can do is just carry the message to him, and that's it. Just carry the message to him, and that's it. And, and one of the best things it's doing for me is just really keeping it green and, 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 and uh, reminding me of how crazy I was in the disease and how crazy I can be if I were to stop working this program. I, he, you know. I can be nutty as hell, and um, and he's kind of nutty as hell right now. So, um, you know, I'm just going to keep you just just continue to carry the message to the guy, and hopefully it'll click for him. But um, that's between him and God. Uh, let's see here. Um, and then it goes through the description of. You know, Sarah 91, now they're really talking about, okay, now you, now you got a guy that's willing, he's hit a bottom, and you're, you're talking with this guy, and, uh, um, you know, first thing, first thing you want to do is hook him, you know, with, uh, with your own experience, right? So, tell him enough about your lusting habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So... Just kind of how we did at the beginning of this thing. First, I had we had to sit up here and at least let you know that we are qualified to be up here, right? So, um, and I and I do the same thing as I will take some time to share my own experience and let you know, you know, I I understand what you're going through, man. And um, a lot of times, you know, if it's in a meeting, then then maybe not so much that that is needed to be done if he's heard me share in a meeting. Um, uh, be careful not to moralize or lecture. It's uh, important, of course. Um, at the bottom, when he sees you know all about the lusting game, commence to describe yourself as a sexaholic. Then to 92. And then this is... Really, just be, now. Now I begin to briefly tell him what happened, uh, or w- what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Just kind of a general brief uh, easing into that. And 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 then if if he's identifying <coughs> and so forth, um, it says begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady as we talked about in in the doctor's opinion. Um, which is, which as we talked about, was the you know the the, the mental obsession and the, and the physical aspect, the physical craving here. And be careful not to brand him as a sexaholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. Um, you and then there at the bottom of page 92, it says you will soon have have your friend admitting he has many of the traits of the sexaholic. Um, <clears throat> and and then at the top of 93 italicized tell him exactly what happened to you stress the spiritual feature freely 
The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Um, I think that that is really important and that anytime I've been asked to tell my story, for instance, I will try as best as I can to be as specific as possible in telling exactly what happened. That turning point where I hit a, you know, hit a bottom and really had that shift of willingness and surrendered and then started to work the steps. And I usually do tell the story of when I was at treatment um, being full of resentment, pissed off. I was 18. I was legally able to leave. Had no money. Had nothing. I was hundreds of miles away from home. So I, it was cold, snow on the ground. Uh, absurd. No ID. I just wanted to go get high because I was just pissed. You know, and I'm sulking like a little baby. So I, that's what I decided to do. One morning, I just did. After breakfast, I just walked out the door. I, was, I don't know where the hell I was going. I was just going to go get high. Yeah, you know, just going to go to Binghamton or try to get into the city three hours away or whatever. <coughs> Crazy. And um, this is exactly what happened because I, that and it was a turning point because I finally got out of that gray, lukewarm, maybe area. You know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, but too damn lazy or what have you to really do the work and and and, and start to work the steps. So I said, fine, screw it, I'm out of here. And uh, that's what I did. And um, I remember three guys walked down the road with me, uh, Halden, Tim, and Phil. And we all became very close. And specifically, Phil um, asked me, he said, you should probably go get an ID. I look back on this and I just see how God was clearly working. He said, you know, Adam, you should probably go get an ID if you want to uh, do anything, you know. If you want a pack of cigarettes or, or anything, you need an ID. And they got one at the school, so why don't we just go back, get the ID, and then you can you can go about your way. And I fought him for a bit, and I was like, okay, fine. And turned back around. That was really humiliating. Walked back into the facility, and uh, Big Joe P., Big 6'4", Italian guy, rest his hands like this, wear the gold jewelry, bye-bye. You know? <laughs> Straight from the Godfather, right? And um, he, he brought me into his office and he said, uh, okay, Barley, whatever, last name's Barley, he called me Barley all the time. He got me on a conference call with, with my dad, did not want to talk to him, and uh, with, with Tim. Tim was in there as well. And... Uh, and I ended up, they ended up talking me into, he said, why don't you just stay for the next day? Just stay for the next day. And, and I said, okay, fine. I'll stay for the next 24 hours. And um, that right there, Phil saying, why don't you go get an ID? And I turned back around, still as pissed as, as can be. And even when I agreed to stay for 24 hours, I was afraid because I knew that I was going to have to go through some shit, some, a lot more table topics. I knew that I was going to hear it. 
and that it was going to be uncomfortable, and that Mike was going to yell, and it was just going to be uncomfortable. But I said, you know what? I am, I am really miserable, and and I'm, I'm just go ahead, whatever. I'm just going to do it then because I've had enough. And and that was, that was that was exactly what happened. And from that point on, every Sunday I went and told Father Stephen. I popped my head in and say, I'll see you next Sunday. And uh, every day I would tell Tim or something. I'd say, I'll. I'll be here for the next 24 hours, and um, I did that till I left, and that was the point of where then I really, really just said, no matter what, I'm willing to do anything to get some relief. And it looks—I know these guys got an answer, so I'm going to do it. I'm just—I'm I'm just going to do it. And um, and, and uh, sadly enough, uh, uh, me and me and Phil. Um, we grew real close, you know, spending every day, day in and out with these guys in a real intimate setting like that, dealing with these these issues. It was it was almost three years that we were there, and, and looking back, think it was a long time. It seemed like an eternity while I was there. Looking back, it you know, in the whole grand scheme of things, it's not that huge, but it was. And we formed some really really close friendships. Waking up next to these guys every day, going to bed with them every night. In a setting like we're sleeping in here, except trailers, and um, and uh, Phil, we went to boards together on mission trips and everything. And um, I was getting out of meeting at Knoxville a couple of years ago, and got a call from Mike, and uh, Phil was killed in a car accident. Um, he had uh, he had relapsed, and they thought alcohol was involved, and um, he was one of the most integral parts of me getting a recovery and, and um, uh, God bless him and I, I'd imagine that I will probably see him again when when um, when this when this life is over but um, so that I, I that is exactly what happened to me in my experience of, of that turning point right there and then, uh, and then and then I'll share and then I'll share with the guy you know, what I started to do, engaging in the program, engaging in the steps, and, and now just tell them how great my life is today, <laughs> and and it and it, and it is. Uh, um, it ain't perfect. It's not a bed of roses, but my gosh, it's uh, I got some peace and joy today, and um, and uh, can't ask for much anything more. Got everything I need and most of what I want, and most of that's the uh, in, internal stuff too. You know, it's. Um, um, let's see. I, I found this interesting where it says uh, use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. No use in arousing any prejudice uh, using certain theological terms. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your convictions are. And I, I think that's maybe even because I got I got into this trap with a guy. I don't know, half a year ago. He came to an essay meeting and he apparently was. Very involved in church. That's fine. I am too. But uh, we raised such issues, and uh, he be- he belonged to a certain religious denomination, and uh, his religious education and training, I think, was superior to mine. And um, he was able to, you know, he ended up being he was running his yap while we were on the phone about this and that related to lofty spiritual ideas and. Anyway, we talked about three days, and 
he went somewhere else. He didn't like SA. So that's fine, but um, I've learned, okay, this is important. I need to, uh, I'm coming straight from the angle of my own experience with this. This is what saved my life. Uh, I was raised in the church, but uh, you know what? I went nuts. And this is what brought me back to God. And um, and and since working with this, now I've rekindled that that relationship with with church, and I uh, I go every Sunday, and uh, and I get a lot from it. But this comes first. Programming steps got to come first, and um, without it, I'm I'm chopped liver. I'm done. Um, uh, page ninety four. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to finish up here. Um, I just want to emphasize here, uh, uh, you know, this is not a selfish program. I've heard that before. I've discussed it with others before. My strongly held conviction. I guess I can see where some people come with that angle, maybe. But you know. Our purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and others. Middle of page 94 suggests how important it is to the, you know, that he placed the welfare of other people ahead of his own. That's, that to me is speaking of uh, you know, unselfishness, selflessness. In the St. Francis prayer, um, it is by self-forgetting that one is awakened to eternal life. Or, or uh, self-forgetting that, I, that I'm able to be more present to, to you know, my fellow brothers and sisters in recovery. Um, okay, let's see here. That's, uh, da, 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 da. Page 97. Again, it emphasizes here that helping others is the foundation, the foundation stone of my recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, greater interference with your pleasures, interruptions to my business. So therefore, this way of life comes at a cost, and I'm completely willing to do that most of the time. Um, Sometimes I'm tempted to turn my ringer off at night, and I have done it, but uh, here lately I've done a lot better with making shorts on. It doesn't matter if I'm tired. If somebody needs to call, I need to be there. And to him who much has been given, much is expected. And I've been given a wonderful gift. And uh, that's and, and that's what that's just the truth of it. And that you know, um, if I expect to stay clean and sober and and sober with lust, I have to give it away in order to keep it. Um, Okay, it goes into some details about domestic problems, so forth and so on. Uh, Let's see here. Okay, 100, real quick. We realize that the things which come to us, second paragraph, when we put ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything we could have planned. Absolutely. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world. I'd say that wonderful world begins in your heart, in the inside, and then it just kind of goes outward. As Robert was saying, you get hooked up with God in the right way. You start giving love and um, 
these positive things out in life and that's what you get back. No, what, no matter what your present circumstances are. Um, and then this is the thing at the bottom of 100, just to reference. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things sexaholics aren't supposed to do. Um, I think some of this doesn't directly translate to SA. For instance, on 101 in the italic where it says we have, if we have a legitimate reason for being in a bar, nightclub, or dancers, or what have you. Ah, my experience is that does not directly translate. I don't have any legitimate reason to be in a strip club or anything of that nature. So, you know, <laughs> work with that in your own. But the truth of the thing is, though, uh, you know, w- with, 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 with the gifts of the steps in the program, I, I'm, I'm able to do, you know, I'm able to be protected and so forth. Um... I think that really highlights um, the 12th step, and um, you know, my job is to be at a place where I may be of maximum helpful, of maximum helpfulness to others. Um, and uh, before I hand it over to Robert, I was going to read one little thing. I think it's appropriate because we probably won't get into it. It's in the family afterward. And I remember hearing this in meetings, but never knowing where it came from in the big book. On page 133, uh, this is one of those chapters that I think people kind of forget about. You know. After we do working with others, then the next chapter is to wives, and why the hell would we need to read that, right? But there's some good stuff in there that, that's, that's, that's definitely necessary to read. Um, so, top page 133, uh, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid, then, the deliberate manufacture of misery. love that, deliberate manufacture of misery. <laughs> That's me. I can do that. <laughs> uh, But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Wow, that's awesome. I I think that's just awesome. You know, um, I don't have problems anymore today. This is what this is telling me. Things that come down the pike, that's the opportunity to demonstrate God's power and presence in my life to the best of my ability. And I think that sums up uh, the 12th step. Pretty darn good for me and my experience. And um, thank you for listening to me over the weekend. I'm sure we'll do some closing statements or what have you. But thank you, Adam. I'd like to echo that. You guys are a great group, and uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you for your participation and kindness and listening to us this whole time. With a minimum of booze and hisses. Um,
are supposed to be a bead necklace or a bead through the steps with Mike, he said, if you want to keep what you got, you got to pass them on. Service is not an option. It comes with the 12. Again, if we could stay sober on anything less than the absolute minimum, we would. If we'd stay sober on 11, it would only be 11. If we'd stay sober on 5, it would only be 5. It comes with the package. Uh, the first line in the 12 and 12, on step 12, is the joy of living, is the theme of essay's 12th step, and action is its key. Here we turn toward our fellow sexaholics who are still in distress. Here we experience the kind of giving that asks no rewards. Here we begin to practice all 12 steps of the program in our daily lives so that we and those about us may find emotional sobriety. When the twelfth step is seen in its full implication, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. Our twelfth step also says that as a result of practicing all the steps, we have found something called a spiritual awakening. To new essays, this often seems like a very dubious and improbable state of affairs. What do they mean when they talk about a spiritual awakening, they ask? Well, what I tell guys is, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps it's because of the work that we do in the previous 11 that we have this spiritual awakening and it's not like we have a spiritual awakening then I go work the steps what is the spiritual awakening well you know, we could read about, and I heartily recommend that you read uh, Appendix 2 in the back of the big book where it talks about a spiritual awakening. But in a very practical sense, and I'm one that's like, I want, I want to see it. I want practical application. Look at the difference in your life between the time you work before you step, work step one and today. And that difference is the spiritual experience that you've had. That is spirit showing up in your life. You practice the steps of a spiritual program, your life is different, and I guarantee you, your life is going to be different. That is the spiritual experience that you've had. And it's going to be different for each and every one of us. But it's going to have the same elements. And what those elements are going to be is, let's say, and there's a wonderful well let's go on with this next paragraph anyway uh, maybe there is, are as many definitions of spiritual awakening as there are people who have had them but certainly each genuine one has something in common with all the others and these things which they all have in common are not too hard to understand when a man or woman has a spiritual awakening the most important meaning of it is that he 
has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path that tells him that he's really gone somewhere, that his life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he has been transformed. Because he has laid hold of a source of strength which, in one way or another, he had hitherto denied himself. He finds himself in possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind and love, of which he had thought himself quite incapable. What he has received is a free gift, and yet usually, at least in some small part, he has made himself ready to receive it. And these next couple of pages is just a wonderful synopsis of you know, the process that we've gone through, 1 through 12. But we're going to skip ahead to step 11 in that same paragraph. It says, in step 11 we saw that if a, power, if a higher power has restored us to sanity and has enabled us to live with some peace of mind in a sorely troubled world, then such a power was worth knowing better by as direct contact as possible. The persistent use of prayer and meditation, meditation and prayer we found did open the channel so that where there had been a trickle, there now was a river which led to a sure power and safe guidance from a God as we were increasingly better able to understand Him. So practicing these steps, we had a spiritual awakening about which finally there was no question. Looking at those who were only beginning and still doubted themselves, the rest of us were able to see the change setting in. From great numbers of such experiences, we could predict that, could predict that the doubter who still claimed that he hadn't gotten the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved essay group the higher power would presently love God and call him by name. Now what about the rest of this 12, 12 step? The wonderful energy it releases and the eager action by which it carries our message to the next suffering sexaholic and which finally translates the 12 steps in into action upon all our affairs is the payoff, the magnificent reality of Sexaholics Anonymous. Even the newest of newcomers finds undreamed rewards as he tries to help his brother Sexaholic, the one who is even blinder than he. There is in, this is indeed the kind of giving that actually demands nothing. He doesn't expect his brother suffer to pay him or even to love him. And then he discovers that by the divine paradox of this kind of giving, he has found his own reward, whether his brother has yet received anything or not. His own character may still be gravely defective, but he knows that God has enabled him to make a mighty beginning, and he senses that he stands at the edge of new mysteries, joys, and experiences of which he had never even dreamed. Practically every SA member declares that no satisfaction has been deeper and no joy greater than in a 12-step job well done. To watch the eyes of men and women open with wonder as they move from darkness into light, to see their lives quickly filled with new purpose and meaning, to see whole families reassemble, to see the sexaholic outcast received back into his community in full citizenship, and above all, to watch these people awaken to the presence of a loving God in their lives. These things are the substance of what we receive as we carry S.A.'s message to the next sexaholic. And it goes on to de describe some of the other service work that's in there. And 
Let's skip over to uh, the paragraph a couple further on that starts. Now comes the biggest question yet. Bottom of 111. Now comes the biggest question yet. Now, if you kind of think of these in this paragraph, this is a, this describes the new joy of living that we're talking about. Now comes the biggest question yet. What about the practice of these principles in all our affairs? Can we love the whole pattern of living as eagerly as we do the small segment of it we discover when we try to help other sexaholics achieve sobriety? Can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we bring to our essay group? Can we have the same kind of confidence and faith in these people who have been infected and sometimes crippled by our own illness that we have in our sponsors? Can we actually carry essay spirit into our daily work? Can we meet our newly recognized responsibilities to the world at large? Can we... And can we bring new purpose and devotion to the religion of our choice? Can we find a new joy of living in trying to do something about all these things? Let's go to uh, uh, probably page 115 maybe, and it's uh, our basic troubles are the same as everyone else's. Top of 114, thank you. Our basic troubles are the same as everyone else's, but when an honest effort is made to practice these principles in all our affairs, well-grounded essays seem to have the ability, by God's grace, to take these troubles in stride and turn them into demonstrations of faith. We have seen essays suffer lingering and fatal illness with little complaint and often in good cheer. We have sometimes seen families broken apart by misunderstanding, tensions, and actual infidelity who are reunited by the essay way of life. There was a guy by the name of Blaine McGowan. I get to use his last name because Blaine's dead now. But, and this is an AA thing, but the principle was the same. Uh, I was four or five years sober and worked through the steps uh, with my and I was on the uh, board of directors of an alcohol recovery facility in Northern California that had been founded by this guy by the name of Blaine McGowan. And Blaine was a uh, uh, physician, actually a veterinarian, a large animal vet. He taught at the University of California at Davis and had been instrumental in setting up you know, the uh, physician diversion program for you know, uh, doctors and, and such that uh, drug and alcohol impaired, but he set up this uh, uh, halfway house up in Yolo County, and when I first got on the board, Blaine was on the board, and he was you know, like 67, 68, and, uh, and then Blaine started coming to the board meeting, and I would see him around town at meetings as well, but the board was where I really got to know him. He'd come to the board meetings and he'd have this uh, uh, oxygen bottle and a little cart that he'd drag behind him. And uh, he had emphysema, and uh, and then after a while he stopped coming to meetings. But I'd see him around town at meetings uh, because he had transitioned into that little three-wheeled scooter with the car battery, you know, and he'd drive around with his little green bottle on the back. And uh, and then it got to the point where he wasn't able to do that anymore, and he was kind of confined to his bed. And we used to go over to Blaine's place and take meetings to him, and uh, and then Blaine died. And I can't think of a more horrible death than to drown in the fluids of our own lung. Uh, 
But Blaine never always had good humor and a good word for people and a good spirit and never blamed or recriminated. You know, it was kind of like, you know, when they started putting that warning on the side of the pack of cigarettes where it says, warning, Surgeon General says that, you know, I just, I was an addict and I kept smoking and, uh, and the results of which are the condition that I have today and it's going to kill me and I wish I'd done it different and if I had to do over again I'd do it different but you know this is how it is and, uh, and the great blessing that Blaine McGowan gave me is he showed me how to die with dignity and I hope I have that much awareness and, and presence and dignity when my time comes but it, it just absolutely brought to life this and that is to take these troubles in stride and turn them into demonstrations of faith. Uh, you know, God bless Blaine. Uh, two more uh, paragraph after that starts like most people. Our answer is in still more spiritual development. Only by this means can we improve our chances for real and happy, really happy and useful living. And as we grow spiritually, we find that our old attitudes toward our instincts need to undergo drastic revision. Our desires for emotional security and wealth, for personal prestige and power, for romance, and for family satisfactions, all these have to be tempered and redirected. Sex property and prestige. We have learned that the satisfaction of instincts cannot be the sole end and aim of our lives. If we place instincts first, we've got the cart before the horse. We should be pulled backward into disillusionment. But when we are willing to place spiritual growth first, then and only then do we have a real chance. After we come into SA, if we go on growing, our attitude and actions towards security, emotional security, and financial security commence to change profoundly. Our demand for emotional security for our own way had constantly thrown us into unworkable relations with other people. Though we were sometimes quite unconscious of this, the result had always been the same. Either we had tried to play God and dominate those about us, or we had insisted upon being over-dependent upon them. And I find that in sponsorship that's very true as well. And that is when the sponsees, you know, everybody likes to be sought after to, uh, you know, their opinion uh, asked for and help asked for. And I find that, you know, with, especially with sponsees, If they call and they want an answer to one of the many problems that we all have, uh, it's like if you give them, if you just give them the answer, what you're doing is you're training them to call you. It's like, uh, oh, I got a problem, call Robert. Oh, I got a problem, call my sponsor. Oh, I got a problem, call my sponsor. And you're just training them to be dependent. And that's not the object of the exercise. Not good for me, and it ain't good for them that what we really want to get to is that place where they can in their daily review you know analyze the problem go into that moral inventory work through the steps on it and you know pray in meditation come out with a solution try it 
you know, if it's pretty clear the way that you think the God of your understanding wants you to do it, do it. If it turns out well, it was probably right. If it didn't turn out well, you know, you probably need to do it different. If you really have a question, you know, I'm not sure about this, call me up, tell me, you know, this is what I've done, this, you know, how I work through the steps on it, and this is the answer that I think I got, and this is the answer that I got, and do you, what do you think about that? You think it's kind of like, you know, in harmony with the scheme of the universe as you know it, or not? And, you know, what I'm looking for is a you know, sponsor, and my sponsors is somebody that knows me for a long period of time, that I'm completely transparent with, and can tell me when I'm playing tricks on myself. Robert, you sound a little goofy. You know, or remember back when you lived here and this ha- happened and you did this. Doesn't this kind of sound like that? I mean, this is what I'm looking for. And you know, sponsors generally will call, uh, you know, early until they get to that point where they can have that access. And then usually when they start working with others, you know, they'll call me up and say, hey, you know, when we did step three, was it, you know? But once they go through the steps with somebody, uh, it's like phone calls just. Dive off, and they don't need me. I mean, really. Uh, and that's the object of the exercise: independence, not dependence. Uh, skipping ahead a couple of uh, paragraphs. Nearly every sound being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire to find a mate with whom the fullest possible union can be made: spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. This might, you know, you might note that I left out some words there. And what page are you on? One nineteen. Nearly every human being experience. This is the only place in all. One seventeen for us. One seventeen. This is the only place that I have scratched out words in our literature. I don't believe it's true, and I could be wrong. And I, I would expect that this is very controversial among a lot of people. Nearly every sound human being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire to find a mate. It's not my experience that it's always of a person of the opposite sex. I know plenty of men who have told me that they have no desire to find a mate of the opposite sex, but they do yet want to find that partner in life. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. With whom the fullest possible union can be made, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. This mighty urge is the root of great human accomplishments, a creative energy that deeply influences our lives. God fashioned us that way. So our question will be this. How, by ignorance, compulsion, and self-will, do we misuse this gift for our own destruction? We essays cannot pretend to offer full answers to age-old perplexities, but our own experience does provide certain answers that work for us. So we're going to skip ahead again a couple of pages. And to the paragraph that starts compatibility of cop of course the last sentence there says and above all he is finally convinced that reckless romancing is not a way of life for him I think all of us can agree to that now most of the time when guys come into the program either the marriage is on the rocks the relationship is on the rocks or they're single and on the prowl <laughs> and what I tell them is you know it's like why don't you just take, you know, how old are you? And in the history of your life, how many long-term successful relationships have you had? <laughs> and usually the answer is zero. And 
And, you know, in the marriage is trouble, you know, how long term, six months, well, you know, it's kind of on the rocks. You know. And that's one of the prerequisites for getting here, right? I mean, if things are well and wonderful, you don't show up in SA. Uh, so it's like, especially for the unmarried ones, it's like, look, why don't you give yourself a break? For the next 12 weeks, abandon any hope that Miss Wright is going to show up in your life. Let me tell you something. The girl of your dreams would not have you in your present condition. <laughs> Accurate self-appraisal. That shall be our steadfast aim. You know, it's like, so, you know, in however old you are, what are the chances that in the next 90 days you're going to be able to meet and establish that kind of relationship with the woman that you're going to be with the rest of your life? Give yourself a break. Concentrate on these steps. Because the rest of your life may depend just on how well you apply yourself over these next 12 weeks. And this is the only place in our literature where it tells us about relationships. Now, you kind of got to work with it a little bit. But it says, SA has many single sexaholics who wish to marry or get in relationships and are in a position position to do so. Some get in relationships and marry fellow essays. How do they come out? On a whole, these marriages are very good ones. Their common suffering as sexaholics, their common interest in essay and spiritual things often enhance such unions. It's only on, it, it is only where boy meets girl on essay campus and lust follows at first sight that difficulties may develop. Actually, it says love that we all know. Uh, <laughs> The prospective partners need to be solid essays. What's a solid essay? There you go. I'd also say that that's the difference between a newcomer and an old-timer. You know, it's not time in the program, it's whether or not you work the steps. The prospective partners need to be solid essays and long enough acquainted to know that their compatibility at spiritual, mental, and emotional levels is a fact and not wishful thinking. They need to be as sure as possible that no deep-lying emotional handicap... Uh, where would one discover a deep-lying emotional handicap? Which step? Four, five... Uh, in either will... Like, be likely to rise up under later pressures to cripple them. Well, relationships are lumper, lumpy. There's always later pressures. There's always pressures. And what do we do? Well, if we don't have a good program to work, we're going to use the same coping mechanisms that we've developed our whole life, which is acting out, drinking, and using if you do that. But I mean, you know, it's medicate in some way, distract. So, how I read this is, you know, if she's hooked up with you, then she probably needs some kind of, if, if not uh, a uh, program for the addict, certainly for the codependent, Al-Anon, S-Anon, you know, one of those programs, or some kind of program of mental health. And what better way than to get acquainted with, you know, the process of these steps, because that gives us a vocabulary in which to discuss our emotional conflicts, right? So now we can start talking about the solution. You know, it's not, the question is not whether or not there's going to be problems. There's absolutely going to be problems. The question is how do we deal with the problems when they come up? This is, as far as I can tell, what the literature tells us. So, you know, you can work through the steps, but get slow. If you're going to get involved with Missy, 
Missy needs to be involved in the steps as well. Now, I've sponsored a number of guys that have been unmarried, dated, got engaged, and married solo. I know how it works. I know how it gets done. It can be done. I'm running out of time here. Um, well, I'm going to save that. The... Uh, the reason I put this up here is suppose there's a difference between service and caring and messaging. You know, I do a lot of I, I, what I thought was service work, but it's really carrying the message. I've been going into prisons for you know twenty something years. Uh, I do sponsorship, which is carrying the message and stuff. Service work is for the group. What am I doing for the group? You know, and I suggest that you get involved in some kind of service work because it will tether you. It, the one thing that preceded every one of my relapses was stop going to meetings. Everyone. And whenever you talk to somebody that relapsed, I guarantee you that you're going to hear that they stop going to meetings. Now, if I'm involved in service work, if it's setting up chairs or you know getting together and writing letters and to the uh, therapist or church community or whatever, or being the literature person or the secretary, do it all. Uh, intergroup rep, GSR, whatever it is, you know, not all at once. I realize you're addicts. You don't have to do it all at once. <laughs> do it one at a time, but find something you like and stick to it. That's what my sponsor told me and. I did it all, all at once. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's like I've held all the service positions, I've done them. But the, the two things that really, you know, speak to me are work in uh, corrections and sponsorship. And, you know, my meeting and attendance over the years has gone up and down. And, but the one thing that has remained constant has been uh, the service work. And I have not relapsed since. You know, I got 25 years in AA and uh, 17 in this fellowship. And I, I'm not going to relapse. I, that's not an option. You know, by God, I'm going to practice my program every day and I'm going to do what it says. So I suggest that there's a difference between carrying the message and service work. And we need them both. Um, I didn't talk much about sponsorship, but I've talked about it the whole time. People that have worked through these steps, and not necessarily with me, but we know who we are. We hear it. You know, we hear that that message, the integration of these principles, and and it just resonates. It has that ring of truth. We're a band of brothers. We've been in hell. You know, they say that, that uh, religion is for people that are afraid of going to hell and spirituality is for those of us that have been there. And, uh, and we're a band of brothers and we need to hang together. And, and sponsorship has enabled me, you know, I've heard so many fifth steps now, 
the incredible sense of peace that I have. You know, I'm no worse than anybody else, and you guys aren't. I mean, we're human, and I know that you put enough drugs and alcohol in me, I'm capable of just about anything. I want to go there, and I've heard it all. You know, I don't get surprised and pissed up anymore. You know, we all have the skeletons in the closet, and they're all ugly. But you know. I drug mine out and I go, oh, there it is. My sponsor said, oh, that's really ugly. I'd get rid of that shit if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I hear fist steps and guys go, oh, there it is. And I go, oh, that's an ugly piece of shit. Watch it, dump it. It doesn't phase me at all. You know, it's like, yeah, mine looks like mine, yours looks like yours. The, the truth is, is that it's crap. Get rid of it. Dump it. You know, it's an inventory that doesn't work. Been there, done that, tried it, didn't like it. Get rid of it. I got brothers all over the planet at this at this rate. You know, I mean, I got sponsees everywhere, and you know, they're they run the gamut. If I need an answer to a question, and I just pick up the phone, and somebody's got the answer. Uh, do it all, prison sponsorship. In working through the steps with someone else for the first time, you will get as much as you as you get with working it through your sponsor the first time. And once you do that, I mean, there's no going back. I mean, it is just an incredible experience and adventure. It is, you know, my job is not. I provide an arena where people can suit up and show up and be their best self to do the work that they need to do. My, my job is to facilitate somebody getting like this with HP. But once they get like this with HP, my job is done. I feel kind of like a catalyst in a, in a chemical reaction. I don't take place in the reaction, but the reaction doesn't happen unless I'm there. Now, it, it could be with anybody else, but it just happens to be that way in sponsorship. And I just feel incredibly blessed and privileged to be present while that's happening. You know, and, and I see it happen, and I think, oh, I'd like some of that too. <laughs> you know, and it gives me hope that if, if I can maintain that that desire, you know, I can get some of that to witness that transformation. That's what I want. You know, I want to maintain that in my own life. Twelve step is about working with newcomers, and Adam talked a lot about that. And then sponsorship is another way of working with newcomers. And then their service work is, what are you doing to help the group? And the group is the most important thing going because without the group, I'm dead. I can't make it on my own. The group, I have to subordinate everything in me to the group. If the group doesn't survive, I'm toast. So what am I giving back to the group? How am I supporting the group? And it's got to be more than that two bucks I put in a can every week. I'm going to end in probably about another two minutes. If you want to follow along, it's the paragraph probably about one page 126 said, Still more wonderful is the feeling that we don't have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. 
Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor do we wish to be. Service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help, the knowledge that at home or in the world outside we are partners in a common effort, the well understood fact that in God's sight all human beings are important, the proof that love freely given surely brings a full return, the certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons, the surety that we need not no longer be square pegs and round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things, these are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. True ambition is not what we thought it is. It was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. These little studies of essays 12 steps now come to a close. We've been considering so many problems that it may appear that essay consists mainly of racking dilemmas and troubleshooting. To a certain extent, it's true. We've been talking about problems because we're problem people who have found a way up and out and who wish to share our knowledge of that way with all who can use it. For it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him who presides over us all. Understanding is the key to right principles and attitudes, and right action is the key to good living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of Essay's 12th step. With each passing day of our lives, may every one of us sense more deeply the inner meaning of Essay's simple prayer. Together, God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I would close with this. May your wisdom equal your zeal and your courage atone for your ignorance. Go into all the world and preach the glad tidings of the kingdom. Liberate spiritual captives, comfort the oppressed, and minister to the afflicted. Freely you have received, freely give. Thank you, gentlemen. Good meetings start on time and great meetings end on time. <laughs> Who's been with us this weekend and will continue to be with us for Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You keep on coming back. It works if you work. It's a work. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve 
by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.